Welcome to your midweek pick-me-up. This is Mind, Body, Purpose with April Judd and Michelle Stevenette. Each episode provides three tangible ways to improve your life. One to nourish your mind, one to connect to your body, and one to live in your purpose. This is where you find confidence to go so you can have confidence to be. We're so glad you're here. Hey, welcome to the podcast. It's Michelle and April. Hey, welcome. We're so happy that you're here with us today. As always. Hey, today we are sharing with you a message that we prepared and spent lots of lots of time and energy and prayer and all sorts of things to um, create a really, we really wanted to put a lot of effort into a message that we were going to share at a, at a Relief Society conference, a Young Single Adult Relief Society conference. So April and I just spoke at that this last Saturday. It was so much fun and we really were just so grateful for the opportunity that they brought us with to speak to them. And like Michelle said, we put a lot of time and prayer and effort into it and thought and I think it went well. Yeah, I feel like it went really well. We got really so, good feedback. But people sure are generally did. very nice <laughs> when they give you feedback. But we got like some lovely like, can I just hug you yes. <laughs> things. And it was, I don't know, it was awesome. And Michelle told me once that she felt like it was going to be a really good presentation. And she knew that not because it came from us necessarily, but because it felt very inspired by something beyond us and coming from our heavenly parents. Yeah. Yeah, and I feel like that was very true for this situation. So we wanted to share it with all of you because we feel like it's a really relevant message. We learned a lot from it, and we have our regular three takeaways that we'll be offering today, and so we want to get into all of that content. So to begin, where to begin? All right, so <laughs> all of us have, I mean, you're hanging out by yourself right now, but think of, do you have a social media account? Mm-hmm. Do you have friends? Do you have neighbors? Do you have colleagues? Do you have family members? Do you have eyes and Mm -hmm. ears and are aware at all of your surroundings? And if you answered yes to any of those questions, then you are probably keenly aware of other people and relationships that you have or may not have with other people or just the observations that you can make for other people's lives and how they're living them and what they're doing or what they're not doing and the direct correlation between them and their lives and possibly their highlight reels and you and your life and maybe the path you're on or the obvious disconnect between what you could be or should be or had the possibility of doing and someone else. Yeah, it's really easy to live our life in a space of comparison and just noticing where we fall short and where other people have all of these strengths and where we have our weaknesses. And I feel like this is a space of inadequacy that as humans, we all actually share. Even the people that we think have everything put together, we all, no matter who we are, have moments or lots of them, of feeling inadequate or feeling less than or just having some version of comparison or thinking that we just, I feel like inadequacy is probably just the best word for that. It really is. It's kind of that feeling of, well, I'm just not enough. I'm not doing enough. I'm not adding enough to this situation. I am not enough. I remember you told me a story one time of Phil Collins. 
Oh, yeah. Feeling like he was terribly inadequate because yes. he was wanting to work with Adele, I believe. Well, I think she'd reached out to him and about a collaborative project of some sort, and he had responded back, and then different life circumstances, he hadn't heard back for a long time, and I think she had other things going on as well. And I, I don't remember the story exactly, but I remember just hearing him being interviewed and saying how inadequate he felt, like, I'm not good enough, I've lost it, I'm not, whatever. And here he is this... He's Phil Collins. Like, he's been so successful and so good, but, like, so, that doesn't even necessarily equate then to no matter how successful you've been, it does not necessarily mean that you all of a sudden have reached a point where you no longer feel inadequate. Yeah, so you'd be a world-renowned, you know, musician and have all of the fame and the money and the status and all of these things. Yeah. And that inadequacy can still be an issue. It can still be a part of your human experience. It doesn't go away just because you've accomplished things or just because you've received recognition. Um, so it's still, it's still there. So our three takeaways today are going to be addressing ways for obviously the mind, body, and purpose that mm -hmm. we can um, overcome inadequacy and deal with it because it's pretty natural, um, I think, to a lot of us at some point in our lives. And yeah. if we can find ways to um, constantly be aware of it and... We can just weather it differently. Right. It can almost... I, I don't want to say almost turn into something positive, but kind of, right? Well, like if you're trying to combat it with some of these things, then you, it overcomes your feelings of inadequacy and you don't have to live your life from that spot. Um, it'll always be there, but it's something that... You can face it with more skill and know how what to do with it when it comes up. Exactly. Yeah. Okay. So for our very first takeaway, it's is for the mind as always, and it is to trust in who you are. All right. So that might sound like, how do you do that? <laughs> what does that mean? And how's that going to help me? So let's try and describe this a little bit. We believe that who we are is divine and that we didn't actually create ourselves. And that for me gives me a lot more trust and hope when I know that, oh, it's not actually about me, that I am a creation of divinity, actually. And I have the opportunities to choose to be and do and create or not in all the different ways. But, in, but really, truly internalizing what that means is really powerful. So let me rewind. I was having an existential crisis recently because I'm at this phase of life where I could kind of do whatever. <laughs> I My kids are raised and, you know, you kind of check off the boxes or you hit all the little landmarks of life. Like you go through your upbringing and you graduate high school and then you go to college and then you get married and then, like all of the normal things happen and you raise a family. And I somehow thought that I would just live out my life raising kids and having two children, they kind of raised quickly. And now I'm super young still and have tons of life. And I'm at that phase of like, well, now, now what do I want to do with my life? I can do just about anything. And, and in some ways I feel like my life parallels the young single adult life in some regards where I have all of these choices the world in front is of me. Oyster. Yeah. And so I, I was at a, I was getting a massage a couple months ago. I was laying there on the massage table and I was having this little, uh, not little, I was having these thoughts of like, who am I? Like, I've done all of these things. I've raised a family. I'm a mom. I'm a this, I'm a that. But outside of titles and hats and whatever I've done in my life, like, who am I, this person of me, who am I and what am I doing with my life? And as I was laying on this table and just sort of marinating in my crisis, 
the, a sentence came to mind. And it was the first line of the new young woman's theme. And for any of you who might not be familiar, this is sort of a document of, of sorts that the that the young women in the church recite this theme for themselves, uh, this statement about them, who they are. And they, they revised the theme about a year and a half ago. And the new first sentence came to my mind. I'm serving in the young women's organization and I'd been memorizing this. And this is what came to mind. I'm a beloved daughter of heavenly parents with a divine nature and eternal destiny. And this is not new information per se for me. Like I had heard this, I've read it, I've, I've understood it on some level. But as I was lying there on this table, sort of pleading with myself, with God, just to like, who am I? What's going on in my life? What am I choosing? Who am I being? What am I doing? And who am I? This simple phrase brought me peace. It brought me sort of to a place of contentment and knowing that this is actually all I really need to know right now. I don't need to try and see the end from the beginning. I just needed to trust in this simple truth that I'm a beloved daughter of heavenly parents with a divine nature and an eternal destiny. And that brought me a lot of hope and peace. I really love that. I think it's something that um, would really do us well to internalize and to be able to look and further trust in who we are by knowing who we are, knowing that I've got heavenly parents and I have divinity inside of me. Another piece of being able to trust in who we are is kind of knowing how we communicate with our heavenly parents and being able to trust in the communication, the kind of the direct line that we have um, to communicate and be communicated with our heavenly parents that is um, given to us by nothing other than birthright. It's something that is always there and that we will always have access to. Um, it's just a point of kind of strengthening that. And DNC, which is the Doctrine and Covenants and a book that we study in our religious practice, there is a scripture, 132 verse 22, that says, For straight is the gate and narrow the way that leadeth unto the exaltation and continuation of the lives, and few there be that find it. Um, and so highlighting a little bit of that, straight is the gate and narrow is the way. There's a story in the Book of Mormon in the theology of our church and it talks about a man named Lehi, and he has a dream. And there's a tree, which is the, the tree of life and eternal life. And then there is a pathway, the straight and narrow pathway. And there is a rod of iron, which is the word of God. And so in order to get to this wonderful tree of eternal life, then we need to hold on to the word of God and follow in this pathway, and there's one way to get to this destination. And I think it's a wonderful illustration, especially when we're learning as children, that we need to cling on to the scriptures, to the gospel, to the gospel of Jesus Christ, in order to get to eternal life, in order to reach our the destination that we are trying to reach, right? But as we get older, I think that it's really wise to start thinking that we're still headed to the same destination. We are still holding on to the word of God. 
but we've got that personal revelation that really comes into play. And instead of following on the straight and narrow path, if we can think of us each having our own personal straight and narrow path, our own personal path that we, in conjunction with our heavenly parents to help illuminate that path and lead us to eternal life through the Savior, Um, by holding on to the gospel of Jesus Christ. But instead of thinking of just that one path heading to our destination, if we can think of our destination as a ray of light almost. And if you think of the sunshine and its ability to have so many rays, as many as you can possibly think of, as many as there are people in the world coming off of that beautiful ray of sunshine and thinking that we're all headed to the same destination, but we all have a different path to follow. I think it's so helpful to visualize multiple paths leading to the same destination because when we think that it, that our path, that, that there's the, just the one straight and narrow, then we start looking at each other with those eyes of comparison and judgment and saying like, well, your path doesn't look like my path or my path doesn't look like your path and which path is the right path? And when what if all of the paths are leading there, you know, and they just might look a little different. So I love the visual that you mentioned of the sun shining and all of the rays and how we're all maybe attached to a different ray and we are all heading to the same destination, even though our paths look very different. In fact, sister um, Reina Aberto said, every one of our paths is different, yet we walk them together. Our path is not about what we've done or where we've been. It's about where we are going and what we are becoming in unity. And I find that as we can trust in who we are and that we have our own direct line to deity. We have our own direct path, our own light ray, our own way, our own way of going. Um, It's so much easier to look at one another with love and compassion as opposed to comparison and, um, and, and fear. Also, when we look at the scriptures, there are different accounts of people who were commanded to build a boat. And I think about like Noah and what his boat looked like. And then in the Book of Mormon, we have Nephi who also built a boat. And we also have the brother of Jared who built a boat. And none of their boats followed the same blueprint. They all came from the same source of inspiration. They all were received these blueprints, so to speak, from God or from the Lord. But they all had a different purpose. They all had a different way of going about building their ship. And I feel like that that's exactly the same with our lives and the way that we conduct what's going on for us. We each have our own way. Absolutely. They're all very personal. The accounts and the inspiration and the revelation that came to those three men in the scriptures. And there are as many personal paths for each one of us, personal ways of building our ship, personal paths to get us to the destination of eternal life as there are people in this world. One of my favorite quotes comes from Chieko Okazaki. And she said, be spiritually independent enough that your relationship with the Savior doesn't depend on your circumstances or on what other people say and do. Have the spiritual independence to be a Latter-day Saint, the best Latter-day Saint you can in your own way, not the bishop's way, not the Relief Society president's way, your way. And I love that she illustrates so beautifully that we need our spiritual independence. We need our individual ray of light. If it was all one path, 
then we wouldn't need personal revelation. We wouldn't need the ability for us to communicate individually with our heavenly parents and know where we are supposed to go, know where we are being led and we are being guided and communicated with. So back to feelings of inadequacy, um, our Savior Jesus Christ, no, this is from Elder Garrett Gong. He said, our Savior Jesus Christ knows everything about us. We don't want anyone else to know. And he still loves us. His gospel, his is a gospel of second and third chances made possible by his atoning sacrifice. And so if we can trust in who we are, I feel like those feelings of inadequacy become a little less tight, a little less heavy. It becomes a little easier for us to have peace and compassion and kindness towards ourselves. There's a little less weight behind those feelings of inadequacy. And there's the thought and really the knowing and um, complete understanding that if we can trust in who we are, those feelings of inadequacy don't mean as much. They're not as important as we initially may have perceived. Yeah, they don't weigh on us quite the same way. Exactly. Okay, on to, so to recap for the mind, trust in who you are. Moving on to the body, choose unity over comparison. I feel like as we gain that ability to have trust in who we are, it spills over then into how we view others and we have less tendency to maybe have that lens of comparison and it is makes it a little easier to feel unified. Um, Sister Bonnie Oscarson said, the fact of the matter is we really and truly need each other. Women naturally seek friendship, support, and companionship. We have so much to learn from one another, and we often let self-imposed barriers keep us from enjoying associations, which could be among the greatest blessings in our lives. I love that she brings up self-imposed barriers because I think that that is such a human tendency to look at other people and think, we don't have anything in common, or they wouldn't want to be my friend for some reason, or a myriad of different self-imposed barriers and how powerful it is to consider that we might have some of the most, the greatest, let's see, what did it say? We might be able to enjoy associations that would be the greatest blessings in our lives if we can just let down some of those barriers. Yeah. Um, I've got a really good (laughs) illustration of this point. Um, when I was in college, I had the opportunity to be a member of the cheer squad down at BYU where I attended. And, um, I made some wonderful friends that I love dearly. And there was one girl in particular that I just didn't seem to click with right off the bat. I mean, she was nice enough, but I could kind of see myself keeping her at arm's distance. She was a little bit too cheerleady for me. She (laughs) was a little bit too intense for me. She was a little bit too Mormon-y for me. Um, a little bit too competitive with running and just kind of the th- and, and studies and the things that she was doing. And she was just too, too different, really. I just couldn't see us being really close friends. Mm-hmm. I hope you're gathering that that sounds crazy because we were both <laughs> like very similar in that we were on the same, same cheer squad at the same university, part of the same religion, the same age group, 
All of these things, there's a whole lot that we had in common, but I couldn't see that. I just thought, oh, we're so different. We cannot be more different and we cannot be friends. Personality-wise, maybe, but holy cow, I had a a lot of self-imposed barriers there. And so for the first six months of our relationship, I just was, it was, I was nice enough, but I never formed a real life connection with her. And, um, about six months in, I, we both were walking home from cheer practice when I realized we didn't live very far from one another. And so we started, we ended up walking together a lot. And then we ended up driving together a lot when it turned cold and we spent considerably more time together. But instead of growing closer, I kind of started to size up and compare myself either in a one up or one down position, feeling more inadequate or a little bit better about myself, depending on you know, was my hair done cuter than hers that day or and all these petty, petty things. Um, until one day she came out to get in the car to go to cheer at a game. And she'd obviously been crying. And in that moment, I saw a connection to be made with her. I heard her story. Um, I felt some needed compassion And a lot of the barriers that I had created started to melt away. And over the course of the next year and a half that we cheered together, we became really great friends. And my feelings of competition and inadequacy and comparison evolved to feelings of love and gratitude and support for her, for her intense personality, which I ended up absolutely loving Um, and could see it really benefiting her in her life for her love of exercise and running and all of the things that I initially had been so turned off by were things that I ended up just adoring about her and I love her to this day it really is one of those um like Bonnie Oscarson pointed out one of those associations that has blessed my life immensely because I was able to, but it wasn't anything in the beginning. We were just so different because of a barrier I had in my head, not because of one that actually existed. Yeah. Self-imposed. Self-imposed. With people you can connect or you can compare, but you really can't do both. Nope. Not at the same time, for sure. You cannot. I love this teaching that I learned from Thomas McConkie. Um, I took one of his, I took his Transformations of Faith course. And in one part, and, and so did April. <laughs> we, took, we took it, it together. together. It was really fun. Was, we loved it. It was such a great course. Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> she's, got a, she's like raising her hand like, me too, me too, me, me, me. <laughs> um, But there was one part towards the end where he mentioned a teaching that he learned. I think he said it was from Thomas Keating. I forget for sure. But he said something along the lines that whenever we can't find compassion toward another human being, we are just messing around with the ego. I need you to repeat that again because since we've talked about this, I've repeated my this to myself probably once a day. In, Same. In, in various circumstances, which is crazy because I would have thought myself a fairly compassionate person. Right. But there are moments, like when my kid does something really dumb <laughs> where I'm thinking, oh, I'm not, I don't feel bad for you. That was a dumb decision. You knew better than that. And I think can't find compassion in this moment you're just messing around with your ego yes so say that one more time yeah whenever we can't find compassion toward another human being we are just messing around with the ego i 
love this so much. And ever since I heard this too, it's been stewing in my mind. You actually used the same thought last week last week in our episode last week with your mom so obviously there is real life application from this over and over and over again yes yes and what's also super cool about this I was just reading this morning from the Yamas and Yamas book which I think we might I really want I really want to book club that book I really really want to book club that even if we don't book club that book we will be heavily talking we're going to be talking about it yes because it has some wonderful things in it oh it's so good anyways I was reading in a part of that this morning where it brings up the ego and saying how the ego is where we separate us from, from others. And that it kind of talks at one point about, you know, why that, why that does serve a purpose in some ways. But when we get back to compassion, that's where we connect. The ego is where we're disconnecting from each other. The ego is when we're comparing and, or when we're thinking that, we're less than or greater than. And if we can just get to compassion, it, it dissolves that. And we realize that we're actually more connected than not. And we're actually more of the same than not. And I just find that to be one of those really profound truths that just might take a lifetime or longer to really internalize. Oh, absolutely. Whenever I think of the ego, I always think of the ego as being, um, we've all heard the scripture in that the natural man is an enemy to God. Mm-hmm. And I always think of the ego being the natural man. Mm. The ego is something that prevents us from being more like the Savior. Exactly. I agree. I agree. And in connecting with other humans and with other people and being able to follow Jesus Christ and his example in serving and loving and connecting with um, one another and dropping comparison and finding unity. My very favorite quote from one of my very favorite musicals, which is Les Mis, and so it's by Victor Hugo who wrote that, and is to love another person is to see the face of God. And I love that because it really just does illustrate that if we can find it in ourselves to look for the compassion and to operate from a place of love, I think that's the best place I operate from. Always. I think that when it comes back to it, it is so important to be able to find that. And that tends to be putting my best foot forward. That tends to be the most genuine, connected part of myself is to being able to operate from a place of love. And so every time that we can operate from that point of love and connection with the divinity within us, then we'll be able to be closer to our heavenly parents. Thank you for sharing that. With this body takeaway of finding unity or choosing unity over comparison, it also then speaks to the body of Christ, right? And Elder Todd Christofferson, D. Todd Christofferson said, as the body of Christ, the members of the church minister to one another in the reality of day-to-day life. All of us are imperfect. In the body of Christ, we have to go beyond concepts and exalted words and have a real hands-on experience as we learn to live together in love. And I think these, that's exactly what he's speaking to is, is that compassion and those everyday little moment-to-moment like 
little challenging things that might come up for us and are we in compassion or are we in the ego? Like when your kid does something dumb. Exactly. And you're like, I don't have compassion for you, (laughs) but I better find it right now because I'm really trying to have a hands-on experience and ministering to you in this moment. Yeah. Right? Which sounds so silly, but if you start thinking about that, Mm -hmm. you do find small, and, and, and we talked about this, simple things are greater things brought to pass, mm-hmm. right? There's all these things that stack up on each other. And if we can think in those moments, I am trying my best to be like the savior. Every morning I've got my kids and my nephews as they prepare to go out the door to school together. And every morning we say a prayer together. And one of the things that we oftentimes say, or at least I do when it's my turn, is please help us to remember the savior and to try to follow his example try to be more like Jesus. Hmm. We say it in the primary song, I'm trying to be like Jesus. That's one of the things, the only example that we have on this earth of someone who is perfect, who did it exactly how we are, how we are supposed to, what we're conditioned to, what we're able to, to see our potential in that. And in order to be the body of Christ and to have that hands-on experience and live together in love and in unity with we've got to be able to find our compassion for each other and our connection on the day to day in those small circumstances, because those will add up over and over and over again. Mm-hmm. Even the, the person that cuts you off in traffic, compassion, right? Totally. Yep. All the things. All right. So just to recap for the body, it was choose unity over comparison. And for our purpose, Go, April. Experience every phase as sacred. All right. I want to share where this originally came from. About a week ago or so, I was in yoga class and our awesome yoga teacher. He's so great. <laughs> we love him. little plug for our amazing <laughs> yoga teacher. He is so, so awesome. Yeah. Yes, he is. And at towards the end of class, when we were moving into Shavasana, he said, Shavasana is the part at the very end of class where you essentially lay in corpse pose or I guess other poses, but lay in a position where you can meditate. And be still. Yeah. Right. Thank you for anyone who's not familiar with that. So we're getting into Shavasana, our final resting pose. And he says that one way that helps him get into gratitude when he's wanting more gratitude is to can think of everything as sacred. And as we're laying there and he was describing this, he was saying, can you consider the air around you that you're breathing as sacred? Can you think of the mat that you're laying on as a sacred instrument? Can you consider, I can't remember everything else he said. But can you think of everything in your life, everything that you come in like contact the clothes with? That you're wearing. I thought of clothes. I don't know that he said that, but but my mind went to a bunch of a bunch of things, everything that's sacred, and I went to this phase of life, this season is is something that's sacred. And as we completed our practice towards the end, and we were sitting up and getting ready to, you know, um, kind of complete our practice in a seated posture. I had like watery eyes coming all down and I look up at him and I could tell that maybe he was even feeling something. And he said, he did say, and most of all, can you consider yourself as sacred? And then he went on to even talk about how 
when he thinks of these things, he'd read a book or read something about this. And and that's kind of what brought it to mind for him as well. But he was saying even mundane things, like when you go to open your car door, can you even think of like the handle of your car as, as a sacred instrument and just the way that you address everything day to day, all of the objects in your space, all of the people, all of the interactions, all of the stages, the seasons, the, the feelings, the experiences we have, can we think of them all as sacred? Um, go ahead and tell us what sacred means. So the definition of sacred, uh, first of all, I just, I really just love that. It, it puts like you in a different frame of, frame of mind. Really um, but the definition of sacred is to be connected with God or dedicated to a religious purpose and so deserving veneration. And maybe off the top of your head, you know what veneration means, but if you don't, we looked it up for you. <laughs> it means great respect or reverence. And in thinking going back to the thought that everything is sacred and one step further and and every phase is sacred. If we consider every phase of our lives as being sacred, then we'll treat it as such. We'll treat it a little bit differently. We'll, we'll treat it and, and kind of view it in a way and in, in what, in, in what phase, in what way is this phase sacred? In what way am I connecting with God, with my heavenly parents? In what way is this phase deserving great respect or reverence. There have been times in my life where I have a little newborn baby and it is super sacred. I love babies and I love that phase and it means so much to me. And I can see the value and the importance of having this small little new soul in our midst. I can see that. And then I move on to like the two-year-old phase where like I love it and hate it at the same time. Right. <laughs> and sometimes it feels definitely not sacred and other moments it does. And I think of one of the phases where we all just can't wait to get rid of it. it seems to be when we're seniors in high school, we all have experienced like senioritis. Right. Where you were just so done with that moment. And if we can just be present enough and be aware enough and understand where we are as important and sacred enough to see the beauty of our moment, see the beauty of where we are. If I can see the beauty of these young kids in my home, if Michelle can see the beauty of being an empty nester and having the, the freedom and and seeing the beauty of even an existential crisis of not knowing who you are. Like there's beauty in what you learn coming out of that. Um, then I think that we will be able to appreciate and um, just come so much closer to our heavenly parents in those moments. I think this is especially relevant when we're in a season or a phase or an experience that we don't like when it's uncomfortable when it's painful when it's challenging and we just wish we could be done with it already being able to pause and just find a version of peace or contentment and knowing that there is something special that there is that it is that there is something purposeful that there is something to be gained in all of it sacred doesn't necessarily mean enjoyable Exactly. Honestly, there's a lot of things that are not terribly enjoyable, but can still find a way to connect us to our heavenly parents, still Mm -hmm. find a way to um, be treasured and of utmost importance. Yeah. April gave me a 
piece of artwork a while ago with this quote on it that I have always loved that says, like the moon, no matter what phase you are in, you are still whole. Maybe you've heard that before, but I never had. And I just, that just sat really well for me because we do go through different phases all the time. And it's very easy to beat ourselves up when we're in a phase that doesn't feel very whole or when we feel like we're not, not really ourselves or whatever. Yeah, there you go. Inadequate for sure. (laughs) But just like the moon, no matter what phase you are in, you are still whole. And I just love that visual. It feels really true. It does. And the phase you're in can still be sacred. When we're talking about kind of remembering that a phase is sacred, um, some of the most painful things about going through a phase are not knowing, not knowing what comes next, not knowing when this phase will end, not knowing um, really just a lot of answers in, in general. And uh, my middle son, his name is Turner and he's nine. And he, the other day, he has a really hard time not knowing things. He has a hard time not under, if he does not understand or have all of the information, he really struggles. And I feel for him, but the other day, he comes home from school and, you know, I kind of feel like a, this drill sergeant, like a cruise director. Mm-hmm. I'm like, okay, Turner, you need to go get ready for soccer right now. And he looks at me and says, what? No, soccer practice is not for, my soccer game is not for three more hours, mom. I'm not going to get ready right now. I don't need to get ready right now. And I said, no, you really do need to get ready right now because you don't understand the things that we have to do in order to get you to your soccer game. So what he couldn't see, all he could see was that his game started in three hours and that was ample time for him to go play and then to get ready right before we needed to leave. What he didn't see was that we had to go drop something off to a neighbor. We had to take his older brother to his soccer practice, which was 20 minutes away from where his game was going to be. We needed to pick up the other brother from a play date on our way to the game. He didn't see all of the moving parts that were happening in between. And so the most painful part for him was not knowing and even as far as not understanding something that I could see from my angle, right? I think a lot of times there are things that and phases and circumstances that are happening in our lives and we are Turner. We are like, why? Why does this not have to work out? Why is this happening at this particular moment? Why would I ever consider this phase as sacred? Because it is downright awful. Um, And what we don't see or understand is that there are other things coming into play where if we could just trust that everything is created in our favor and for our good and trust in our own specific personalized path and our ability to communicate with our heavenly parents through personal revelation, through prayer and through the spirit that we will be able to trust and that will alleviate quite a bit of the pain of not knowing and the worry that accompanies that. Yeah. I love that example because you as the parent have a different perspective and you can see 
all the things that need to happen in order to get him to his game and that you want to get him to his game. And yet from his perspective, he doesn't, he just can't see the same picture. And I feel like that that's such a great illustration of, I think how our lives really work with our heavenly parents. I think that they, they can see things that we can't see and there are behind the scenes, so to speak, factors playing into what's going on in in our lives and trusting that it's all working out in our favor, I think is a very useful belief to have. And I think even just knowing that, just believing that it's all rigged in our favor, that like we're, they're trying to get us to our game and they're trying to help us get to where we want to be. And we just have to believe and trust and have faith that it really is in our favor. Yeah, they are on our side. Believe it or not, they are on our team. Yeah. Y'all ever seen, oh my gosh, I loved it so much when I was a kid. John, by the way, life is like a football game. I don't think I've seen this. Oh my gosh. He, it's this whole talk. If you can find like a version of it somewhere, it is so good. It talks about how life is like a football game and we're all on this team and our heavenly parents are our coaches, I think is what it, it does. Anyhow. I love it because it reminds me that we are all on the same team and our heavenly parents are trying to orchestrate everything they possibly can in our favor. Mm -hmm. And sometimes it feels painful and confusing and we can't see what they see. Yeah, that's not diminishing that. That's not saying like, oh, just have faith. But it is putting our trust in knowing that everything is in our favor on some level, knowing that this phase that we're in at this moment is sacred and essential to who we are. And I think a lot of that goes back to that personal revelation of can you connect with heavenly parents in such a way that you can receive the confirmation or the peace or the whatever you might be looking for to at least get you to the next step to be able to continue on whatever's going on to be able to have the the grit or the whatever you might be in need of to experience whatever is has come up for you um we sometimes just to take one foot in front of the other exactly sometimes just to finish the day to breathe to continue on right Mm. another scripture from the doctrine and covenants this is in section 90 verse 24 search diligently pray always and be believing and all things shall work together for your good. And I love that. It just speaks to what we've been saying is that if we believe and if we search, if we pray, it's really easy. I think sometimes to just get discouraged and just decide to throw in, throw up our hands and, and be a little bit pessimistic or just throw, like they say, the baby out with the bathwater. Right. And it takes a bit more, trust to stay in that wrestle of, you know, I'm still going to believe that God is good. President Russell M. Nelson said, when your greatest desire is to let God prevail, to be part of Israel, so many decisions become easier. So many issues become non-issues. Um, and at the end of that quote, he says, you know, the kind of person you really want to become. I think that when we can connect with other human beings on a level that we are following the savior. If we can trust in who we are, if we can really connect to our heavenly parents and look at all of those things, then the inadequacy that we sometimes feel like we talked about earlier kind of becomes a little more of a non-issue or at least has the potential to situation by situation. 
sure. It becomes something that we can approach with a bit more skill, like I mentioned, or just we can weather it differently. Mm-hmm. Mm. If you've ever looked at the Bible dictionary for the word repentance, it has a really beautiful definition that I did not expect. No, I did not at all <laughs> expect this definition, but I love it. I, I love, it. love it so much. So the Greek word of which this is the translation denotes a change of mind, a fresh view about God, about oneself and about the world. And I really think that this needs to be preached from the rooftops because yeah. I feel like repentance, at least the way I was raised was not that, or at least the way that I grew up, the culture in which I feel like I experienced, I felt like repentance felt a much heavier than this. Repentance felt like the justice way of beating yourself up about something until you had suffered enough that perhaps that was equal to the awful thing you did. Exactly. And <laughs> right? It was like, hey, have you suffered enough for this? And if you have, perhaps you'll feel better. In some way. Yeah, no, that's not what it is at all. It's a fresh view about God, about oneself and about the world. It's a change of mind. And I think that that is such a refreshing way to think of repentance because, and I think it's much more accurate. Mm -hmm. Obviously, it's the Bible dictionary. I like to consider that an authority. Uh, I feel like that's a much more accurate experience of what it means to become closer to God, to have that lifeline to God, to have the revelation that personal line, your own straight and narrow, I feel like as we pursue down our path, our experience with God, uh, we will continually have fresh views. And that doesn't mean that we've necessarily even done something sinful for us to be repenting. No. Oh, don't you love... Okay, maybe it's just me. But I love in culture in pop culture in stories and all of the things where the main character like gets to okay so like 13 going on 30 where she wishes that she's 30 and then she sees how she treats the the kid that she really was her best friend and then she gets to go back in time to when she was 13 and relive it or the Mm. um christmas movie that has nicholas cage in it i can't remember what it is and tia leone uh, I have no idea. I can't remember what it's called. But he, again, gets to like have a fresh view and relive well, everything. Christmas Carol. No, yeah, that would do out of Christmas Carol. Yeah. All of the things. Like, I love all of those. Um, and, and books. Like, there's the book What Alice Forgot and all of the different things where they get to see how things would be because of the decisions that they made. Mm-hmm. And then they get to go back and rewrite their story repentance is the perfect opportunity to rewrite your story. You get to see a fresh view about Mm. yourself, about the world, and about God. That is such a great analogy, and that's exactly what it is. It's like like your opportunity to start all over again as like Scrooge. (laughs) I wish you could see her face right now. It's so exciting. Fired up. (laughs) It it really just puts into play. That's what repentance is. Repentance is not suffering enough that possibly you have felt terrible and paid the price paid the price for this awful for the sin that you committed no repentance is being able giving the gift of repentance like that is a gift Ebenezer Scrooge was never like oh you know so sad that I get to relive all this no have you seen have you seen the Christmas Carol the man (laughs) is elated that he gets to relive all of these things and approach life with a fresh view yeah. Yeah. 
I really just love that. So in speaking about repentance and about a fresh view, we've all heard so many of these talks and conferences and different things before. And the things that Michelle and I brought to you today may not be incredibly new, but we hope that as you're listening to this and as we continue talking about this for the for the next few weeks and going a little bit deeper into some of our takeaways and applications that maybe you are to look at something and open your mind and your heart to a little bit more of a of a fresh view. Mm-hmm. Have that Scrooge moment. Right. Right. All right, let's recap. So for the mind, trust in who you are. For the body, choose unity over comparison. And for your purpose, experience every phase as sacred. April, do you want to pick one? I do want to pick one. I am going to pick the body. I'm going to pick the... Oh, I don't know, actually. I want to do all of these. I lied. I'm going to do the purpose. I was going for that one, too. Okay, I'm going to experience every phase is sacred, which is awesome because you and I are totally in different phases. We are. It's one of the things I love the most about us yeah. is that you get to speak to a completely different phase than I do. And I sometimes uh, wish my phase wasn't going by so quickly. <laughs> mm. And sometimes, some days I really wish that I could press pause and rewind and keep living these young children over and over and over again because I already miss it. Mm. Not going to cry. I already like have a nostalgia behind it, right? She's waving her eyes. It's fine. (laughs) Um, But then other days I long for like some freedom and for a little bit of of time to do the things that I want to do. And um, so, yeah, I think just, just experiencing this phase of life that I'm in as sacred but then also maybe this phase of learning and growing and some of the things that I'm um, going through personally as, as sacred. I love that. And I'm going to also choose the purpose of experiencing every phase. But for me, I'm going to edit it slightly and make it every moment because I feel like lately I've been blessed by thinking of this in terms of certain moments, certain interactions, certain experiences and um, whether I'm just outside on a walk, like experiencing the sacredness of the the air and the trees and the sunshine, or whether I'm having a conversation with some with my spouse, or whether I come home yesterday, I came home to <laughs> my daughter's puppy sitting, and I walk in the door, and there's the little cage thing, like taking up the entire entryway. And by my back door, yes, that's right. The kennel yard (laughs) taking up the entire space and the little puppy in there howling a big puddle of pee. He had gone to the bathroom. He was howling. She was nowhere to be found. My daughter. I'm like, I come home and I'm like, okay, can I approach this from like, where, how am I going to approach this? Your beautiful (laughs) white Pillows yes. were strewn yes. on the floor. Granted, not in the pee or the poop, but like but they were on the floor. Yes, from my newish couch. There was issues. There was a lot of things <laughs> happening. <laughs> a little so, a lot of chaos. Very, and I had to unload Costco and all of this is in my path. And she had to pee. And I had to go to the bathroom. <laughs> yeah, I told April this story last night. So, you know. You know it would have been better, even better is if you would have had like a jumpsuit on. <laughs> Because we all know that a jumpsuit is next to impossible to get off fast enough to go to the bathroom. (laughs) So ah, just the different little challenging moments, if I can approach them all as sacred in some way, just just a beautiful way of conducting life. 
It's true. Okay. I love that. Awesome. Well, join us next week. Next week, we will be going a little bit deeper into the mind. Um, the mind takeaway. The mind takeaway, which is trust in who you are. And so as please join us. Like as you go throughout this week, maybe be thinking about the first off the one of these takeaways that you want to concentrate on. But be thinking of experiences and different things that you can add to your life that will help you really trust in who you are. Yeah. All right. Thanks so much for joining us. And we will see you back here next week. Yep. Bye. Hey, thank you for taking the time to listen to this episode and invest in yourself. We truly believe confident, caring women like you are changing the world.